there. Good morning. Welcome in to Mitten Madness, 95.3 WBCK. Jacob Harrison, the brand manager of WBCK. Across from me is Dejan Hughes, the brand manager of the block, 1025 and 104.9 there in Battle Creek. Plenty to get into around the world of Michigan sports. Of course, we'll talk Lions. Of course, we'll talk Wolverines. Of course, we'll talk Miguel Cabrera because we didn't do that last week like we should have. So we'll pay respects to one of the greatest uh, players in Detroit sports history. Uh, there's also new developments in the Mel Tucker case, which also spans into the Big Ten with Nick Fitzgerald. We'll have our picks and we'll try to actually have the show uh, fit within the breaks and get out on time for once. DJ, how's it going, man? Oh, I'm doing all right, man. Michigan's getting ready to play for the good old uh, brown jug, water jug against Minnesota. The Packers are going uh, down to Las Vegas this week. I, I feel good about my chances as a sports fan this weekend. Mm. Um, to just enjoy things. Must be nice. <laughs> <laughs> the The amount of confidence I have in my Steelers is at a all-time low, and uh, I don't have a lot of reasons to feel confident about the Alabama Crimson Tide heading in to uh, College Station to play the Aggies in Texas A&M. Uh, that, was a, that was a heartbreaking situation the last time they were there, and uh, that team was a lot better than this one, so... Uh, must be nice to be confident this weekend. <laughs> it's been a it's been a rough year football wise for me. I'm not used to it. I'm not used to having like this good of a year. Um, the past couple of years have been really good for me between uh, Green Bay and Michigan, but like normally it's one or the other. Either yeah. Michigan has a really good year and Green Bay has a bad year, or Green Bay has a bad uh, a good year and Michigan doesn't. I like don't know what to do with myself now that they're both doing seemingly pretty well yeah I, i'm aware of how spoiled of a uh, sports fan i am uh i thought i was ready for the steelers to be bad and then they decided to just be perpetually average and uh i didn't didn't expect the saban dynasty to start to crumble a little bit this year but maybe he's turning it around who knows we'll see let's start with the detroit lions this week uh i don't know you you, you maybe feel like this one might be is it, a, is it one of those trap games? Because Detroit did close out the uh, preseason by gobsmacking uh, the the Detroit Lions. Is, is this one of those things where you look at Bryce Young's coming in and he hasn't been playing super well, but he did start last week uh, a lot better. The It feels like the Panthers are just kind of inching closer and closer to winning, whereas Detroit feels like, you know, this is where they're supposed to start hitting their stride and start to really stack up some big NFC wins, especially with the the Panth uh, excuse me, the Panthers this way, Bucks next week, uh, and then a couple of AFC matchups. But nonetheless, I mean two two pretty important games as far as playoff seeding goes to to make sure that you've got some stacked wins in the conference. But also, the Buccaneers might be one of those teams where you're kind of jockeying for position come postseason time what's kind of your initial thoughts on on the lions and their matchup this weekend with the panthers i think the lions have to take full advantage of this situation they have to win pretty much every nfc game that they have that isn't a divisional one or isn't against a team like the rams the 49ers etc because when you look at the playoff seating and when it comes down to it a team like tampa bay or um uh, or a team like 49ers, depending on what their record is, could jump you in standings because they have more wins against NFC opponents. 
beat Carolina, take care of business. They haven't won yet. They haven't beat an NFC conference opponent yet. So now's a good time to just come in, take care of business, get a good win in the NFC and continue to build off the momentum that you've had coming in, especially after just getting a huge win against division division rival and the Packers. I think you bring up an interesting point there because uh, I think the Lions have an easy enough schedule to where when we get into late December, we're going to be talking about whether or not they can pull that one seat away from the 49ers. I think most people are are expecting the 49ers. The 49ers look fantastic. Uh, Most people are probably expecting them to be the number one seed in the NFC. And if that is the, the case, here's... Here's where if we're getting to the point where we're going to start comparing the Detroit Lions to the San Francisco 49ers and we're talking potential num- number one seed for the Detroit Lions, what year is it, first of all? <laughs> Second of all, these are the kind of games that San Francisco doesn't struggle with. Uh, San Francisco so far this year has been, I mean, brutal in the way that they have handled business, uh, how they how they handled my Steelers, how they've handled pretty much everybody they've come across this year, if they were to play a Carolina Panthers team, it would get ugly and it would get ugly very fast because San Francisco not only has experience winning, but they have experience being, they have experience in meeting expectations. The Lions, not so much. They they have experience in shocking people. They have experience in coming in as the underdog and and doing what is unexpected of them. But I think even looking this year where how close the uh, Atlanta game was early on or the fact that the Seattle game went the way that it did, and I th- and even to a degree the fact that, that Green Bay was stronger in the second half, there's still things there that Detroit does have to clean up. I'm not saying you can beat everybody by, you know, 40 to nothing, but... San Francisco is very convincing in how they win and Detroit's got to learn how to match that because you're you're not going to just be given the number one seed just because you have an easier schedule between the two of you. San Francisco is going to earn that position because they play in a much tougher division. They play, they have a much tougher schedule overall. Detroit has a much easier schedule until the latter half and they have to take care of business in between now and mid December when things kind of turn up and get more difficult. Yeah, I think the biggest thing here is, like you said, the entire NFC North kind of got a pretty easy schedule this year. Like, I was looking at uh, things with Kevin over on RKR earlier uh, yesterday uh, as we, you know, record on Friday. I'm trying to not – I don't even know how to really do that. It's so hard to explain to the people how that works. But uh, I was was looking at things with Kevin and, like – Green Bay could very well go 11 and 6 and end up getting one of the wild card spots. That's not <laughs> it, 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 it's disgusting but they, to think about because they, of how favorable the NFC North schedule is. They all play the same teams. Well, yeah, they so all, like, they drew the AFC West and the NFC South. What more could you possibly ask for? It literally like it's going to be tough to beat the Chiefs and maybe the Chargers, but after that, you have a pretty favorable schedule in your hands. And Detroit just has to take advantage of that. They have a really good team. They're going to win the NFC North. Put yourself in the best possible position to go as far as you can because, uh, honestly, I don't know who the one seed's going to. This may be a true three-way battle between the Eagles, the 49ers, and the Lions. 
one of those three teams is going to get the first. And then after that, obviously second and third, but it all will come down to who's beat more NFC opponents and such. I, I, I feel pretty confidently that it, that it'll be San Francisco. I feel like Philly is, is going to have to stumble a little bit more just based off the way that they've started the season. Whereas with San Francisco, but I think, I think what we have seen so far is Detroit is the clear number three team in, in the conference. And I think that's really the best you could ask for because coming into the season, Philly was obviously number one. San Francisco was like, well, if Brock Purdy is for real and Brock Purdy's been for real, then really your biggest competition for that spot is going to be the Cowboys because the conference as a whole isn't very good. Like there, there's next to no excuse for Detroit to not be a playoff team. There's next to no excuse not to win the division. There's next to no excuse not to be hosting a playoff game at Ford field come January. So the, the fact that they're where they're kind of expected to be, they just have to continue to meet those expectations, beat teams like the Panthers this weekend. Uh, Detroit does have a, uh, 10-point line on this game. They're the 10-point favorites. They've got a 77% chance to win on the matchup predictor as well. Uh, big kind of storyline here and one that, that resonates with me. Amon Ross St. Brown held out of practice. He's kind of a game day decision. Without him, it's, it's another 30-plus touch game for David Montgomery and you know, we, we grimace at that. I, I don't know if it's necessarily another 30. I think it may be that regardless because they've just been running the ball more. I don't think that's dependent on Amon Ross St. Brown not being there. J-Mo is coming back pretty soon. That's or what. he should be back this week. And Josh Reynolds, who already has a rapport with Jared Goff, has been doing well to come into the year. So I And, you know, I think – and Sam Laporta has been one of the best tight ends in the league. Iowa. I think they still – Throw the pill. <laughs> I think they still throw the pill quite a bit, even without I'm on Ross St. Brown, because Jared Goff feels comfortable with the receivers that he has. Well, talk about JMO. I mean, I'm I'm disappointed in myself for not even having thought about that. I'm so glad that his suspension was reduced and that he's back this week. Uh such an incredible player to to watch in Tuscaloosa. Didn't get a lot of opportunities last year, but when he was able to touch the football, he was pretty electric he only touched the ball like what five times i mean it wasn't a lot what what's kind of your strategy in year two after missing some time again this time without injury uh he has been able to practice and do those types of things but what's kind of your expectation of how he should look this week in his return i think it's going to take him a little bit of time to lock things down with jared goff in terms of game speed game timing yeah and and like how things look in game they may already have that from practice and training camp and everything, but it looks a little bit different in game. So I would give him the normal two, three weeks that most people take to get warmed up into the season. And then after that, he should be just fine, find his place in the offense. And I expect the Lions to find multiple play calls that are specifically for him, designed to get him open and get him the ball. Should be a fun game there in Ford Field. We'll uh, talk Michigan Wolverines and more on the other side. This is Mitten Madness on WBCK. Back here on Mitten Madness, WBCK, Jacob Harrison alongside Dejan Hughes. 
And uh, let's get into the college game a little bit. Uh, the Michigan Wolverines are going to be on the road, Huntington Bank Stadium. It's a night game. It'll be here on WBCK as well. We hope we have all the kinks uh, worked out with that. Uh, trust me, I've been doing all I can. Um, the Minnesota Golden Gophers uh, will play host to the Wolverines, the number two team in the land. I mean, maybe before it's all said and done, it'll be the number one team in the land, but it's uh, a three and two Minnesota team that has a 18 and a half point spread against them. Only a 12.9% chance to take home the little brown jug. DJ, this one, uh, another, another opportunity for Michigan to just show what they're, uh, what they're made of this year. Yeah, um, I don't think this one is particularly close. Um, Minnesota has had some struggles this year. They're not quite the team that they've been in PJ Flex first couple years there, who we here in the Southwest Michigan community are very familiar with mm. after his time at Western Michigan University going 16 and 0, Corey Davis, et cetera, everything that happened in the good old row the boat, um, scenario. But that Minnesota team just doesn't exist anymore. And yes, this is a rivalry game. Yes, it's one of the oldest in the country. Yes, this jug is supposedly the oldest rivalry trophy in all of NCAA football. But that doesn't mean anything. This Minnesota team just does not have it to stick with Michigan. And it's more about Michigan's defense. Their front seven has been unreal this year. And when you have a captain like converted linebacker to or excuse me, converted wide receiver to nickel linebacker slash cover safety, Mike Sa- Mikey Saver still. I don't know what team isn't going to be good on the defensive side. And they weren't even completely healthy at that in the secondary. And they're still picking guys off, only allowing six points on average on the year. Number one scoring defense in the country. And then you pair that with uh, the QB who's leading the country in QBR. Running back with the most rushing touchdowns in the in the country, and receive, receiver with the most receiving touches, or receiving touchdowns in the country. Who's beating this team so far? No one, and I don't see Minnesota stopping them because I just don't see the pieces there. This is a very ugly uh, collection of words here. Um, if you're from Minnesota, close your ears. Michigan leads the all-time series seventy-six to twenty-five to three. With 42 wins in the last 46 matchups. Minnesota won at Michigan Stadium in 2014. Uh, most recently, 2005 and 1986. When the Wolverines were again ranked number two and quarterbacked by Jim Harbaugh. The last time the, Go- the Gophers triumphantly hoisted the jug on their home field was 1977. When P.J. Fleck wasn't even born. My mama was was barely talking at that point, dude. Like, come on. And and Minnesota's been pretty good in recent years. But this team, I mean, just go back down what they've done so far this season. They edge out Nebraska when 13-10. Nebraska's not very good. 25-6 over Eastern Michigan. Eastern is notoriously, uh, and... I mean no disrespect, but they are notoriously the worst football program of the Division One Michigan football programs. Notoriously. That doesn't mean they're incapable of winning big games, but you gotta beat them by more than nineteen points. UNC thirty one to thirteen. North Carolina's pretty good. 
but it wasn't particularly close. Northwestern, we're going to talk about that situation here in just a bit. They lost in overtime to that team that is going through everything it's dealing with. I think they were the last team to hire their head coach that they have for this season, right? I mean, come on. You can't lose a Big Ten game like that. And then you escape against uh, Louisiana Lafayette, uh, the Raging Cajuns, 35-24. to 24. You're a Big Ten school, man. You cannot play Sunbelt teams close. I know we're in Michigan and we're defending the Wolverines here and they lost to a team that is running the Sunbelt these days long before they were, but none of that None of the the Golden Gophers resume really stacks up to what Michigan comes in with, which is a bunch of really big wins, and they haven't let up ten points yet this year. And uh, that that's my question, DJ. Does does Minnesota even put ten on the board? They've done it in every game so far, and, Mi- and Michigan hasn't let up ten yet. I am going to answer your question with the question. Um, Love it when you do that because <laughs> I'm looking also at the scoreboard and Minnesota has actually only let up 30 points three times. So is it the last three weeks? Is it more likely a Michigan scores 30 or more likely that Minnesota scores 10? Michigan scored at least 30 in each game so far this season. And I don't think Minnesota is any better than anybody they've played. I, I would argue Rutgers is the best team that Michigan has played so far, right? Right? I mean, yeah. I, I would agree. Not not the closest margin of victory of the teams they've played, but Rutgers is the best football team they've played. And I would say Rutgers is considerably better than Minnesota, at least just stacking resumes next to each other. Uh I th- this isn't this isn't the Minnesota team that had uh Ibrahim and uh that that had Rashad Bateman and all these guys that that were were so talented. The the Tanner Morgan led gophers, no. Uh, so it's, it's more likely that Michigan puts up 30 than, than Minnesota puts up 10. Okay. I like that. Rushing yards. Minnesota's averaging 193 a game. Michigan's only letting up 85 a game. Which one breaks? 100 plus <laughs> yards rushing for Minnesota or 100 less? The, the 85 breaks. Uh, you think Minnesota gets over 100 rushing yards this game? I didn't say they get over 100. I said they get over 85. No, I said that's what I said. Does Minnesota get over 100 or does it stay under? Oh, I don't know. I think they're going to like hover around that. I mean, uh, 532 yards on 87 carries for uh, Taylor, the running back there, Darius Taylor. Um, that, that's that's pretty solid production. Um, no, I think he's had some big games. No, I think I think they'll go over a hundred yards on the ground, uh, but I think that that determined. I think it's, that's determined by how slow Michigan is out of the gate and how long Minnesota can run their offense. Because clearly they want to run the ball. Uh, they don't throw the ball particularly well. They turn the ball over a lot in those uh, scenarios. One guy's got four of the five touchdown catches. So. Uh, I think they'll break 100 yards because they'll run their offense early. Michigan has started games slowly and late in the game. Minnesota's not going to have a prayer, so they're just going to start running their offense again and let the clock bleed out on their own just so they can, you know, get out of the stadium because it's, it's going to be ugly. Okay, last question I have. Does Minnesota score a touchdown before the fourth quarter? Michigan has no. not given up a touchdown before the fourth quarter 
You say no. no. Does Minnesota score in the third quarter? Michigan is yet to let up a third quarter point this year as well. Michigan hasn't let up a third quarter point. A single point in the third quarter. But they have let up points before. Rutgers yes, scored, they let up points scored in very the first early. Half, but they have not let up points in the third quarter, and they have not let up a touchdown before the fourth quarter. Well, they've let Except up record. Rutgers is the one touchdown before the okay. fourth quarter. Other than that, I, they've only given up three touchdowns. In the fourth quarter. Um, no, I, I, I don't think I don't think Minnesota scores a touchdown at all. At all, I think they score on field goals. How many? Two max. <laughs> <laughs> I like where your head is. I, mean, I, I like where your head is. I if if that is any indication, I would take the I would take Michigan on the eighteen and a half point spread. That I if, if I could be any more clear about that. Um, not not gambling advice. This is what I would do. Uh, if I if I were gambling this weekend, I I would I would confidently do that. I think Michigan is Michigan isn't hitting their stride per se, but I think everything is starting to to kind of gel and they're starting to to figure things out. Uh, and I think the early hit from Rutgers kind of leaned into that a little bit and kind of allowed them to wake up and last week against Nebraska it was like oh well can it's it's at Nebraska it's their first road game and Nebraska's starting to heat up a little bit and and not that Nebraska was like in a position to really win the game but how close could Nebraska keep it and it was the biggest win that they've had in point differentials so far this season so I think Michigan's starting to hit their stride and starting to understand that they are significantly better than everybody on their schedule until November 11th and they need to play like it and this is this is step one of that and continuing to to run rough shot over the uh the big the the lower half of the big ten well to make a transition over to the team that has the bye week this week up in East Lansing they're not playing this week but that means the other news is even bigger this week since there's nothing else to talk about up there what's the big the newest update on the Mel Tucker situation in East Lansing so Mel Tucker is suing Michigan State University, suing them. And uh, we'll talk about why exactly on the other side here on Mitten Madness, 95 before, point. Before we take a break, what does this bye week look like as we have about a minute to go before we get there for Michigan State to stay focused and be prepared for a tough game coming out of the bye week next week in Rutgers, which we'll touch deeper in that next week. But kind of what do they have to do this week to stay focused, stay ready, and just not let – all of the noise and everything that's going to come in this week get in the way. They should have started doing that weeks ago. I, I mean, obviously, it's different. <laughs> just it's saying, di- I'm just saying it's, it's different during a bye week because you have nothing. You don't have a is game it? going on. You just sit there stewing in it. You, you're sitting stewing. <laughs> so what can these? What can the kids do, the players who have absolutely nothing to do with it? How can they find some solace in their own brain, be comfortable, like relax? I mean, it, it, I, I mean it sincerely. Like, if they weren't doing it weeks ago, they're already toast. And and I'm not so sure. They don't have the talent to overcome it. And they also, I don't think they have, I to, to call them out directly, I don't think they have the gumption to do it because I don't think they've done that yet. And a bye week, I don't think in this situation, actually helps. And the fact that there's this big news that, that Mel Tucker isn't finished with this thing and he he's trying to defend some type of honor, I think if I'm a player in that situation and I've already been, for lack of a better terminology, weak-minded about this entire situation and the season's going the way that it's going, we might not win another game, guys, kind of feeling, you're, you're already... You're 
you're already where you're at. And I don't, I don't think that that really changes, but we'll talk about the Mel Tucker situation, why he's suing the school and how that kind of ties in with some other legal stuff that's going on in the big 10 here on Mitten Madness, 95.3 WBCK. WBCK is the station you depend on for news. Our newsroom is staffed seven days a week, bringing you the latest from Fox News Radio, the Associated Press, and you. Call our WBCK News Hotline at 963-NEWS or email news at WBCKFM.com. Depend on News Talk 95.3 WBCK. Back here on Mitten Madness, WBCK, Jacob Harrison and Dejan Hughes. We uh, touched briefly before the break on what's going on with Mel Tucker and Michigan State. Unfortunately, we have to talk about this again because Mel Tucker is suing Michigan State University, alleging uh, that the institution failed to, in its investigation, to attempt to get some text exchanges and uh, really kind of tried to paint uh, Miss Tracy in a negative light, trying to say that uh, she had good feelings about the uh, relationship that they had, good feelings after Michigan State's spring game and so on and so forth. Uh, a lot of things to to try to, I don't know, play for pride at this point if you're Mel Tucker to, to try to clean up his name so that he can possibly get a job at some point. I think it's just it, what he's trying to do here to be objective about the entire thing. Uh, a 106-page letter. I don't know what the hell you write for 106 pages, uh, but claimed that there was new evidence to bring to the table. This was presented during a hearing that Mel Tucker didn't even attend because of an undisclosed illness that the 106-page letter couldn't even disclose. Uh, and it was released to the media, released uh, to to the attorneys as well, uh, brought forth claim against uh, Brenda Tracy that she had appeared to have made a career out of misleading and manipulating people. I wouldn't say a career, but um, from what we heard as the original story is not what the manifesto that they brought forward said. I happened to read through quite a bit of that 106 page letter. You like reading a lot more and than it's I do. mostly her text messages with her friend. When we found out, she tried to delete those text messages off of her friend's phone while she was laying in her deathbed. Her family's watching her die and she's like, hey, can you guys unlock her phone so I can get in here? And like, they're like, no, like it, she's dying. And then come to find out she dies and Tracy's like, hey, I need to call my therapist. I don't feel supported right now. What do you, what do you mean? support her family they just lost the, her you just lost your friend you should be crying like i don't even think anybody thinks to call the therapist right away when they're crying because someone just died they normally cry because someone just died like the whole thing is just really weird now because she also was having another relationship with a basketball coach at the time for the boston celtics who was married while she was engaged with tucker but saying that she doesn't date people that she has a personal relationship with like it, we got one side of the story and now this huge manifesto has come out and says pretty much the opposite. I think he's just calling into question her character, her truthfulness, and things like that to say like, hey, was I wrong for dating her because she was a school vendor? Yes, I broke my claws, whatever. But the situation that you think it is is not what it is. So you and I were talking in the hall the other day, and apparently you've read some of this since that conversation. Yes. Uh, I think that the only thing that could possibly absolve Mel Tucker is to prove that she was outright lying about everything and that they had a an established relationship that was sexual in nature. That's pretty much what 
this manifesto. Well, so. that's what Tucker's defense has been this entire time. You can write 106 pages and and bring forth some types of evidence and still it still not be enough. And the the fact of the matter is, there's there's I'm gonna beat up on myself a little bit. There's always gonna be people like me, and that we're gonna be the majority who don't read 106 pages of of this evidence. Um, and the the stories are still gonna be written in a way to protect this person that was allegedly sexually assaulted until it is proven that she has not been. And at the end of the day, we're talking about two grown adults. I, adults that are significantly older than you and I, DJ. And 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 we're both in the dating world. <laughs> and, and dating is hard. And communication is hard for 20-somethings, okay? These, these are people that have been in long-standing relationships multiple times in their lives, and you're telling me they can't communicate on whether or not they're consensually having sexual relations of any kind, whether it's over the phone or whatever. And now we have a 100... Look, I, I mentioned that what's at stake here for, for Mel Tucker is the possibility of getting a job at some point down the line. The, if if he's trying to get the $79 million that, that was taken off of his contract because he was fired for cause, good luck, dude. I don't think that's... Be, because yeah. the for-cause situation of all of this wasn't necessarily... This isn't going to sound harsh. The fact that he did what he did was for-cause. No, I don't think people... I don't think he's trying to go after any money. I think he understands he broke his clause and isn't getting money from them. But he just wants to make sure people understand this was consensual and he's not, you know, doing something he shouldn't have done to therefore not have a job in the future. There, there, but there's, if this is why I hate legal breakups. Why are you screwing around with this woman if she's crazy? I'm not saying he's right. I'm not saying <laughs> I, she's You right. know my phrase. I've said it before. I'm not going to say it on the radio. But I, like, I you, 100% agree with you. <laughs> I agree with you. I, so, so now we're in this whole legal issue because you, you two grown adults wouldn't talk or you, or one of you was just too hyped up to, to take five minutes to, to look back and, and assess the situation and be like, this isn't a good thing. This is going to cost me millions of dollars. An unspeakable amount of money. Alright, well we don't have time to get into uh, the Pat Fitzgerald thing. We didn't talk last week about Miguel uh, Cabrera. His last game for the Detroit Tigers uh, what happened recently. A 12-time All-Star World Series champion with the Marlins before he came to Detroit. Two-time AL MVP. Triple crown in 2012. Uh, ton, I mean, an unspeakable list of, of batting records and awards. Um, DJ, I, I've followed Detroit for a long time. I've always known you know Cabrera as well as long as I as I should say I've followed Detroit. I've, I'm aware because I have a family member who was a passionate Tigers fan. Uh, and in the years where they were very successful and, and Cabrera was a big part of that, uh, he and I were close at the time. So I understand some of the legacy of Cabrera, but obviously it was a massive day in Detroit when when he was taking uh, his his last plays there at Comerica Park. And uh, I think the, the last play of the game bounced right, at, right up to him uh, at first base. So uh, talk about his legacy and what he means to the city of Detroit now that he's, uh, he's calling it a career. Uh, he's just kind of like a blue collar player. The guy who just goes in, works hard, came up from the bottom, made things happen, came to a city that is pretty blue collar and, and just resonated with them. And he kind of just became their player. He's arguably one of the greatest right-hand hitters ever. The greatest right-hand hitter in Detroit history. The only one in the last 80 some years or something like that to hit for the triple crown. Like he's done things that were unexpected. He brought us a world series. He just understood and loved Detroit to the point to where it was like, Hey, this is my city. This is their team. We're all blue collar. We're coming to work hard. And if you don't like that, you can get out of here. So like he just came in and symbolized everything that Detroit felt like they were, was a great baseball player and, and was here for years. So like if you like baseball or even know anything about baseball, there's no way you don't know who Miguel Cabrera is. I mean, I'm, I'm not a baseball guy. <laughs> Cabrera is I mean, 511 home runs, averaged 306 his entire career, which is absurd. I Just absurd. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, congrats on a fantastic career to the 40-year-old calling it a career last 
Sunday, his last game in Comerica Park. Uh, hopefully in the future, Detroit's going to be, or at least the Tigers, uh, be a little bit more competitive and Mitten Madness will be able to shine a little bit more light on them and pay attention when, uh, you know, fantastic things like this happen. When we return, our picks for this weekend's slate of games. Jacob Harrison, Dejon Hughes, this is Mitten Madness on 95.3 WBCK. 95.3 WBCK. We are back here on Mitten Madness. Jacob Harrison alongside Dejon Hughes. Uh, before we get into our picks, do you want to pay some condolences to one of the greatest of all time? Uh, one of my favorite players to go back and watch on NFL films, certainly. Uh, I know we're all rivals here of the Bears. Uh, <laughs> I think you hate the Bears more than anybody, DJ. I mean, you're, you're, I mean Packers fan. It's, it's natural. But uh, Dick Buckus passing away at the age of 80. One of the greatest linebackers of all time. One of the greatest players of all time. Great Bear, but also uh, by all accounts, a great dude as well. Uh, died peacefully in his sleep overnight in his home in Malibu, California. And of course, last night, the uh, Chicago Bears uh, paid great respect to him by playing one of the best games that they have played in a long time. I think it had been over 600 some odd days. Not to kick them while they're down, uh, but it had been some some 600 days since the Bears had won a football game. And last night, they they put a pounding on the Washington Commanders, winning 40-20, and Justin Fields looked great in the process. Uh, so rest in peace to Dick Buckus, an absolute legend in the sport that we all love. Now, DJ, let's get to some picks. Red River Rivalry. Oklahoma, number 12. Texas, number 3. Dylan Gabriel playing lights out for the Sooners. And Texas, led by Quinn Ewers. This is a big Heisman Trophy matchup, but it's also a massive matchup uh, in the Big 12 overall. It's still kind of weird to think of these two teams as Big 12 schools, but they are. Uh, and the winner of this is going to be in prime playoff position. And you know what that means? Is Texas really back? Who wins the game, DJ? Texas or Oklahoma? Oh, wow. Um, this one's tough for me um, because these two teams always go at it. They're always tough to say, you know, who's going to win it in a game where one should win and the other shouldn't. Um, somehow one always pulls one out. It's going to be a high-scoring game because it's a Big 12 rivalry game. That's <laughs> I can't spot you who means. has the ball last, DJ. I can't tell you who has the ball last. I can't tell you who's going to telling you who's going to win. <laughs> I can't tell you what kind of score they're going to have. I can't tell you anything other than I believe Texas has just enough with Quinn Ewers in the offense to pull this one out. Yeah, and I agree with you. Uh, I like Dylan Gabriel. Fantastic story. Uh, it's good to see Oklahoma you know, playing well again, but uh, there's a reason Texas is number three and Oklahoma's number 12. It's because Texas just simply has more talent. So I will go with Texas as well. Awesome. So we're both going Texas. We were both 6-0 and last week, matching everything up, getting me up to 25-5 and on the, the season. You're up to 22-8 and on the season. I'm going to stay the college route. Going to stay with teams wearing red. Talk Maryland, Ohio State. This is a much closer game than we've seen in the recent future or in the recent past. This one should be tight. Both teams rank Ohio State um, or excuse me, Maryland not ranked, but a lot of people say they should be. Yeah. Ohio State ranked super high. They have the pieces with Kyle McCord, Marvin Harrison, Trey Henderson, but Tualia and this Maryland offense has been good as well. What defense steps up and pulls things out for a win this weekend? I'll say that Maryland's going to put up a, a much better fight than they did last year. They'll put up the fight that they wish they could have put up last year when Talia was hurt, when uh, the whole team just started getting decimated by injuries leading up to the Ohio State game. And they still played marginally well in that game. They didn't play nearly well enough to win, uh, but... 
I think coming into this game, I think Talia Tungavailoa continues to shine, uh, continues to play well. Um, and I think that 20 point line favoring Ohio State is too much, but I do think the Buckeyes will win. Uh, I'm not sold on the Buckeyes yet, even after their big win over Notre Dame, but Marvin Harrison Jr. still plays over there. Uh, Travion Henderson still plays over there. That fantastic tight end, uh, still plays over there. Uh, there's great defenders all over the, the, the defense too for the Buckeyes. So, uh, just too much for Maryland, but Maryland Maryland's going to put up a hell of a fight. Yeah, I'm kind of looking at who Maryland has played so far this year. Indiana, Michigan State, Virginia, Charlotte, and Towson compared to Ohio State's last five games, which they've only played four this year to open up the year. Georgia, Indiana, Youngtown State, Western Kentucky, and Notre Dame. And I just don't think the Maryland defense has seen anything quite like Ohio State's offense. Isn't as great as what we're used to, but I think they still have just enough to squeeze this one out. So I'll join you in taking um, that team down there to win this weekend. <laughs> that team down south. I like it. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be, uh, I think this is the only NFL game that we've got. Oh, we do have two. That's right. One as well. Uh, but this one is the Sunday night football game. Dallas heads out to San Francisco to play the 49ers at Levi's Stadium. Uh, how do you see this one going? We talked to a big game for San Francisco earlier. They, they're the, the four point favorites in this one. Brock Purdy protecting the football. Christian McCaffrey looking like Christian McCaffrey uh, injured Micah Parsons, though he should be available in the game. How's this one go on Sunday Night Football? Big one in the NFC ahead of the uh, Detroit Lions. Like you said, injured Micah Parsons. Even if he comes back, he's not 100% healthy. But 49ers also have Devo Samuel, who's questionable, but is set to play. But he won't be 100% either. Both of those factor into the game. But even with a not 100% Devo Samuel, this 49ers offense is closer to being 100% and healthy and probably is the best offense that the Dallas defense has seen up to this point. I don't think Dallas defense has enough to stop what is probably the best offense in football right now. Dallas so hasn't I gotta seen, go with the 49ers. Dallas hasn't seen a good offense yet. <laughs> they played the Giants, the Jets, the, the Cardinals, and New England. And yeah, they lost to the Cardinals, but they were, Dallas is missing half their offensive line in that game. Uh, no, I, uh, see, this is one of those that's hard for me because it's like, uh, the, the 49ers, they've got to fall at some point, right? And, uh, they're a little bit banged up, but I don't think they're going to be missing anybody too, too crucial to, to their operation. And Brock Purdy, man, it's weird. It doesn't feel like he should be continuing the success that he had. Brock Purdy has not lost a game that he's finished. How, how do you bet against him? I think Dak Prescott is an elite quarterback. I don't think his offense, honestly, has enough firepower to combat what San Francisco does defensively. And I think even a slowed down Micah Parsons is going to have a hard time, or I think even a healthy Micah Parsons would have a hard time getting through San Francisco's offensive line because it's very talented. And with him being slowed down, I think that is more than enough advantage for San Francisco to, to move to 5-0 five, five and oh and take a commanding lead in the NFC because uh, I, I think Philadelphia is going to lose much sooner than San Francisco will. All right. I am going to stay in the NFL for this next game, and we are going to travel all the way over to Las Vegas, Nevada, Allegiant Stadium, my Green Bay Packers heading into town to take on Devontae Adams and the Las Vegas Raiders. The line is currently in favor of Las Vegas by one point in the over-under sitting at 44.5, but ESPN says the Packers have a 55.3% chance of winning this game. Obviously, two quarterbacks that are in very weird situations for themselves. Running backs are the power of the game today. Who do you see coming out 
in terms uh, of this game with a victory. So I'm trying to see if uh trying to get any indication of whether or not Jimmy Garoppolo is going to play in this game. Um, and I'm not getting much. He's questionable, and that is a uh, a massive thing here. Uh, little known fact: I was born in Las Vegas. As much as the the Raiders and Steelers are supposed to hate each other, if I wasn't a Steelers fan, I'd probably be a Raiders fan. I have some sympathy for the Raiders, and I think the Raiders are better than one and three. Honestly, they should have beat my Steelers. It's kind of pathetic that they didn't. Um, overall, I think the Raiders are a better football team than the Green Bay Packers, and I think they'll start strong. It's a matter of whether or not they can hold off Jordan Love and company late. Uh, I, I don't want to put an asterisk on this, but I only think the Raiders win if Jimmy Garoppolo plays, uh, and, and I have no indication of whether or not he will. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna put them out there on the chopping block and, uh, and go with the Raiders and, and try to assume that Jimmy G will be out there and it'll be too much for the Green Bay Packers. I like where your head is because as much as I'm excited to see Devontae get his, because it looks like he's probably going to get matched up against Rasul Douglas, who absolutely love Rasul Douglas. He's been an amazing corner, but he does not have anywhere near enough to stop Devontae Adams. Oh, is Alexander out of this game? As of right now, he's questionable, and Eric Stokes is on the pup list. So our two best corners are, in fact, If Alexander doesn't healthy. play, I don't care who the quarterback is. I like that. <laughs> hey, your head can go where it wants. I'm still picking my Packers. This is the one ounce of faith I'll give them this year. If they fail me this time... Mark my words, I won't pick them to win another game. <laughs> if Jair Alexander doesn't play in this game, the Packers won't win. Because <laughs> Devontae Adams is going to eat them alive. I mean, that's going to happen whether he play or not. <laughs> Devontae going to get his, man. <laughs> well, I don't know. Jair's I mean, he's top good. three. Yeah, but Devontae is the best route runner in the, in the NFL. He's going to get open. Yeah. It's yeah. just a matter of For sure. restricting how many yards he gets if he scores a touchdown, those kind of things. But he's going to get open and get yards. Last game from me. Uh, you said gross when I mentioned this one to you earlier. It is the number 10 Notre Dame Fighting Irish traveling within the ACC once again for the second straight week to take on a unsuspecting ranked team in that conference. This time it is undefeated number 25 Louisville. Notre Dame is a six and a half point favorite down there in Cardinal Stadium. Sam Hartman is great. The running game for Notre Dame is great. Their defense isn't bad, but two straight weeks of near heart attacks against teams that A, in Ohio State, they should have beat and Duke that they miraculously beat. What's the storyline here for the Fighting Irish heading into this one against Louisville? I think you have to take back control of your team, your season, your offense, your defense, everything. This is a game for them to just come in and say, hey, we are Notre Dame. We're a perennial powerhouse team. Sure, we had a tough game against these two teams, but we're going to reset our season, get our train back on track, and handle business against a Louisville team that is now back in territory that they haven't been in in a few years. They're undefeated. They're ranked. But now they're playing the big dog. Show them you're a big dog and handle business. I like Notre Dame to just go in, keep things simple, and win the game. So you're you're picking Notre Dame. I am. Okay, we're 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 in agreement on that. I think uh I think this is a little bit more of a trap game than even the Duke game was. Uh Louisville's not bad by any means. Uh are they unsuspecting? Sure. Uh but Notre Dame is one of the better teams in all of college football, not just because they're ranked number ten, not just because they almost beat Ohio State. I think athletic 
quickly. I think roster for roster, Notre Dame is is really good, and that feels really weird to say because I don't like Notre Dame, and I was kind of hoping that your hatred of Notre Dame would get you to choose Louisville uh, because they couldn't do it three weeks in a row. I think this one is not quite as close as the past two. I think Notre Dame starts to feel a bit more comfortable in themselves and feel a, a bit more confident as well after pulling off the win in a, against Duke in a stressful situation after coming up short against Ohio State. As much as I don't like Notre Dame, I don't like the school you just mentioned even more, and that's why I've been able to pick them consistently <laughs> is because I just can't pick that other team even though I did it this week. And I think I did it that game too. I did. Yeah. I picked yeah, that you, team down south to yeah, beat Notre you, you Dame. I just state. had yeah. a feeling. My last game of the week, Kentucky traveling to Georgia, taking on the number one team in the country. They're ranked 20th in the country right now. They have a chance to knock off the number one team and put Mich- uh, number one team and put Michigan in spot to take the number one overall team in the country. Do you think Kentucky can do it? Do you know what the the biggest tradition in Kentucky sports is? It was the Kentucky Derby. You know what the second biggest tradition in Kentucky sports is? Kentucky basketball. Good answer. You know what the third biggest tradition in Kentucky sports is? Beating Louisville in football. No. It's getting your hopes up, starting the season strong, and then walking into either Athens, Georgia, or Gainesville, Florida, and getting their ass handed to them. Kentucky's going to lose this one hard. <laughs> I think I, have to, I think I have to agree with you in terms of I just think Georgia is still in that mode where I can't pick against them yeah. until they lose and show me that they're like actually vulnerable to other teams in the country. Also, it's Brock Bowers' world, and we're all just living in it. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that, that, that's kind of how it's been. So, just to recap, picks for the week: we're both taking that team down in Ohio, Texas. We're both taking Georgia and the 49ers and Notre Dame. The one game we're going to split this week is I'm going to take my Packers and you're going to take the Las Vegas Raiders. Man, if the Raiders make me fall to four games behind, (laughs) they just might. They just might. I, I need this one. I need to catch up. All right. We're going to get out of here in a later tonight is going to be the, uh, the Michigan game pregame will start at six 30 here on WBCK. As I reiterated earlier in the show, uh, I'm not ignoring the, the fact that those games have been cut off early. It's a problem within our computer system that we have been trying to fix the whole season. So, uh, hope I've got word that it's supposed to be fixed. So hopefully it is. And we'll give you the game in its entirety. Uh, that's going to do it for us next week. We will be back at Battle Creek Central as they host Lakeview uh, as we're here about to get ready to go out and see them play K-Central in the biggest rivalry, or excuse me, the oldest rivalry in the state. Uh, And yeah, that's that's what we got. DJ, we got anything else going on? I, I feel like I'm so. forgetting something. No, no. I think that's okay. it. All right. Well, then I'll officially close this one out. This has been Mitten Madness on ninety five point three WBCK for DJ. I am Jacob. We'll catch y'all next week.